Greetings, friends and fellow Delta Quadrant inhabitants. Inhabitants, Delta Quadrarians. Ooh, ah, uh, I like that. Uh, welcome to Two Star Two Trek Quadrino. Quadrino, Delta Quadrinos. We are a podcast covering Star Trek Two Parters, and Star Trek Prodigy had uh, the first part of their two parter. Yeah, their their second two parter of the season, A Moral Star Part One, which is episode nine. We're going to be covering just the the first half because we are covering this. Unlike many of our pre- previous episodes, we're going to be covering these in real time. So we wanted to get some thoughts out there, and then once the second episode airs, we'll have more thoughts that we can then spew out into your ear holes. Yeah, we're very excited about that. So let's jump right in. My name is Ryan. I'm of course joined by my lovely co-host Caitlin. Hi. We have two fantastic guests joining us as well, Forrest and Katie. How are you guys doing this evening? I think we're doing pretty good. I think that the formal term for someone who lives in the Delta Quadrant is a quadrinero. Yep, that would make sense. I like quadrinanian. But I mean, wouldn't that be the same for like every denizen of the galaxy? You'd have your Alpha Quadraninos, your Delta Quadraninos, you know, your Gamma Quadraninos. Right. That's a good point. Right. Like, mm. that's that's an option. Well, but the Delta Delta so. is for... This is a really interesting conversation we'll have to come back to. Also, aren't they in the... <laughs> aren't they in the Gamma Quadrant before they soup? They're technically... Yeah. Well, they go back to the Delta Quadrant yes. where they started. Yes. So they... At the beginning of this episode, they are in the mm-hmm. Gamma Quadrant when they receive the message from the Diviner via, like, freaking Microsoft <laughs> Teams on the view screen. Teams <laughs> 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 on subspace. <laughs> uh, Bill Gates wishes seriously <laughs> let's just jump right into the episode first things first Prodigy as a whole 10 out of 10 kicks ass yeah, like really good let's, show let's have some general general Prodigy thoughts because I know we are all obviously you know well I guess we're, we're, we're all adults right we're right. all adults of a certain age who grew up with Star Trek to a certain extent and or have experienced it on an adult level. And Ryan and I have have a tiny one at home, a four-year-old who goddamn loves this show. <laughs> and so it's been a it's been a wild experience as parents to have a little child who watches the show and wants to watch the show with Gwen and the purple guy and sometimes Mr. Spock. Mm-hmm. He really liked that one. Yeah. Like loved Kobayashi, loved all the different voices at and one point the entire episode. At one point in the past 3 weeks, he got so mad at me. He yelled computer arch so that he could end so the, I could the holodeck. End, yeah, so yeah. I could leave and he can continue playing on the holodeck by himself. Yeah. So, so I, we're, we're coming at it, you know, from, from both ends of the uh, target demographic spectrum. I think we can all agree that, you know, Prodigy is, is a really strong uh, iteration of Star Trek. And I think we had the... The offcoms uh, talk the other day that it may may be the the strongest mm, first season mm-hmm. of a Star Trek ever. Forrest, your I'm, thoughts? I'm definitely of the thought that this is the the best first season. But I think we have to resolve this two parter, and then we have to consider like these. The first ten episodes is like season one A, and then the second ten are going to be season one B. But that's probably more semantics than anything because we're getting a big break between this and whenever Prodigy comes back, but. This show has been so solid from the start, and it knows what it is. It has just the the neatest writer's room that really calls to a lot of Star Trek, not just Voyager history, but a lot of Star Trek history in uh, in general. And so it's 
Uh, it's such a nice assemblage of the Star Trek, you know, history and knowledge, the aimed at kids thing or the kids show label is is certainly true. It, uh, it's very accessible. It's much more accessible than other tracks. But they had one of the best... Like, the uh, Time Amok episode is one of the best episodes of Star Trek ever. Just end of... I was very clear on Twitter that it's a top ten Star Trek episode. Like, I think City on the Edge of Forever is is better just because of the way... Because of, you know, just some general... The general greatness of that writing. But this episode is... Time Amok was up there with any other time travel episode star trek has ever done so it's it's such a bright show and it's so much fun and it has known what it's about from minute one of this program yeah there's there's no first season trying to find your footing thing it's a kids show that doesn't talk down Mm -hmm. to kids either i saw you know really you know the other thing i can kind of compare it to in that way would be the sarah jane adventures the Mm -hmm. doctor who spinoff that really you know brought adult level stories but in a way that was accessible and still felt heavy if you're watching it you know with a level of complexity added on top rather than scraping off difficult feelings they're still there it's just you know in a way that is you know, can be discussed with kids, but still challenges them. So I probably went into this a bit more skeptical than I think the rest of you. I, I'm a person who finds what I like and I stick with it and I have a hard time starting a new series. And specifically, I have a hard time starting series that are geared towards younger kids, mostly because I spend eight hours a day with younger kids already. <laughs> and I know you guys are parents, so you, you get that on some level too, but I don't want to come home after talking cartoons and and video games and things with my kids all day and mm-hmm. then come home and then launch myself into a kid-geared program. But while it was a kid-geared program, I found myself pretty instantly emerged in the story. I was saying earlier that I don't drop my jaw a lot um, when I watch something new for the first time, and Prodigy has done that for me. And so that has been a really fun mm-hmm. ride. Just a lot of surprises, a lot of great callbacks, a lot of great connections. And the character development has been really cool to watch, especially I think Gwen has some really cool character mm-hmm. development. Yes. I love yeah. Gwen. Gwen is, is great. She's very cool. As, to deep, as deeply engaged Deep Space Nine fans um, <laughs> will call Odo Jellyman forever because that's genius. <laughs> Absolutely genius. <laughs> And you could never say it to Odo's face. <laughs> no! Odo would no. punch you. <laughs> My favorite thing, there was an article that came out that pretty much went back and tried to source where all of the lines came from, where they pulled. And most of them are pretty, well, there's a yeah. handful from like some Romulan episodes yeah. in TOS, and it's like, okay, like those are pretty easy to source. Rathacon, <laughs> uh, Unification Part 2, you know, like things like that, but then... Yeah, the thing with Odo is in, in the Kobayashi Maru episode, Odo resigns his commission like immediately when Dal gives the order to like retreat. And apparently they couldn't figure out which episode they sourced it from because Odo has resigned his commission so many times. So it's like, we're not sure exactly which one this (laughs) is, but like, (laughs) right, which I I thought was perfect. And Dal's kind of like a nog in that he can patronize Odo a little bit and Odo will take it on the chin, but kind of be like, oh, what are you doing? And that kind of made me giggle too, because it's. 
It's a subtle callback there or a connection that probably only just DS9ers who are quite devout, like yours truly, would make that connection. But I kind of thought like that Nog-Dal relationship with Odo, mm. like calling him Jellyman. Yeah. Nog would totally be like Jellyman and then like hide behind Cork and go. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, and Nog, Nog always thought outside the box. And I mean, in, in the, the novel Apocrypha, he actually beats the Kobayashi Maru, I believe, twice. And so Dahl, you know, technically gets there, even though he screws it up at the end. Yeah. You know, the lesson still had to right. be learned. Yeah. It's, an, it's, you know, it's an episode of television. But like, I think they they make some very specific choices, specifically with Dahl and the fact that he was raised around Ferengi, that that mm-hmm. culturally is very familiar mm-hmm. to him. So it makes sense that they would actually have some things in yeah, common. And that that yeah. connects with how this writer's room functions, too, because they pull a lot of things from the books, which is so neat because the Star Trek books mm-hmm. are kind of their own level. Level of insanity that's uh, <laughs> that is really enjoyable, and so they've really pulled. Uh, you know, Rock Talk is a bricker who's a book species. Camarium Cloak is a book thing. So Doll beating the Kobayashi Maru, thinking just insanely, and what a great soundtrack for that too. Just like which is a callback, <laughs> yes. which is a call to the the new movies, and so they just link uh-huh. everything so well. And the lower decks team is good at this too they have that same kind of Mm -hmm. joy for star trek but i think it's a bit more it's there's a lot of easter eggy things in lower decks and it's very next generation connected which is where they're drawing their information inspiration from but i think the prodigy writers room is just like broadly star trek engaged and with the you know with the Janeway connection there's obviously some Voyager love but they do so great across connecting across freaking Chakotay well, <laughs> we're going to talk about That's, that I'm sure so um, is, is Chakotay in section 31 or not whatever I mean the, the section I think he's the 31. section 31 show is rumored to be restarting right about now. So it would make sense if they had 31 on their mind, but I would like to think they can do better than that. Than Chakotay? Well, yeah. part of me wondered though, as, as you know, the, the Maquis who gets pardoned upon his rearrival in the alpha quadrant, like, and has all of this Delta quadrant experience and like kind of lives like Janeway and a lot of the Voyager crew. Cause I think in, in the novels, Paris and, and Torres go to join section 31 as well. And so, like, at least I've been reading the the Coda books Ooh. recently and that's where they mm-hmm. land in those books. So it wouldn't, it, it wouldn't be like a complete divergence but at the same time god damn it section 31 (laughs) (laughs) also the likelihood that my my pet theory is that they they were testing this proto drive and using resources from like the valnicott planet accidentally blew it up and went did an oopsie and that's why there's only two of them left (laughs) and that like originally the diviner was like a collaborator with the friend of federation but like you know maybe that's too many zigs or zags yeah we'll see we'll see so uh, general prodigy thoughts aside, jumping into this episode, this is clearly, you know, a two-parter, which is why we're covering it. And it starts with Dal accidentally knocking over a robot head that has an embedded message from the Diviner that says, Alright, the jig is up. You know, you've played in space with your fancy USS Protostar. <laughs> Come back now. Or I'm going to kill all of the kids that I use for slave labor. (laughs) Love dad. Oh, a little heavy, maybe, for a kid's show. But, you know, it gets gets the point across. Yeah. Sing the Prince of Egypt gets the point across. Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) 
And then, you know, they, they have this little confab and, you know, Dal learns the lesson because, you know, he's he's grown over nine episodes, which is amazing when you think about it, because a lot of characters don't get do, grown that Do you save, that deep, do you that save those random people on the Kobayashi Maru, or right. do you engage mm-hmm. and potentially get everyone killed? Yeah, he, he the first thought is, like, we have to do the right thing, and but I want everyone's input. And it's like, yes, yes, you learned things, good! And, I mean, so of course they go back, and then the Diviner and Gwen kind of negotiate. Gwen goes with the Diviner. The Diviner shoots the power supply of the ship that they left him with, and then the episode ends very abruptly. It's very, very weird, but I wanted to talk about some fun stuff in the episode that I really enjoyed. The first thing on the top of my list of my notes is... Dal, when they engage the proto drive, says "Go fast," oh. that, and that's his. That's his punch. Yes. that's his. Let's engage. Make his it let's so. Fly. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. like they 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 nail mm-hmm. that feeling so much, Sorry. and I really like "Go fast" because it's something a kid would. Yes. yeah, it's something a kid would come up with, and it totally works. And. You know, there there was that great episode of Discovery where Saru was trying to figure out, like, what is, like, activation code. And, yep. like, Dal just had it ready, like, on That's the That's exactly what there. I was going to say. I was like, he got it better in one take than Saru <laughs> did that whole episode. <laughs> that whole time. Saru <laughs> is like, yeah. workshopping that. And Dal just nailed it. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, the, the, the thing to being, like, an excellent Starfleet captain is that you've got to have a little himbo in you. Mm-hmm. It's true. Because, like, <laughs> Saru overthinks, and that's, like, Saru's superpower and his biggest mm-hmm. liability. Yes. Right. And, yeah, like, that's how easy it was for Dahl, because he's got a little bit of himbo it's in It's a him. little bit yeah. more than a little. It's great. Yeah, you either need, yeah, you need the himbo, <laughs> you need the horse girl energy, and you're, you're all set. Yeah! Yeah, it's, it's one or the other. And that's why Captain Jacote, I'm just, I'm not gelling with it. I'm not. No, he brings horse girl energy, brings which is why it's confusing. He brings that horse girl energy. For sure. <laughs> Fantastic. So, Caitlin, what did, what did you think of, you know, this general setup payoff two-parter? Yeah, I mean, I, I liked all of the, the reveals to the, you know, Dolls 11 that was going yes. on uh, behind you. the scenes. <laughs> That, you know, they have a series of plans that, you know, this this team to this point has, like, been getting better and better at making. And, again, the payoff that they're pulling off, potentially pulling off something on this big a scale is really huge, um, along with that character development. I think the first thing I said to you at the end of the episode was, like, wait, did did we miss something? And, like, we're rewinding it on the app and trying to figure out if we missed something. Because it ends very mm-hmm. abruptly. It's like the end of a scene or not even really a commercial break kind of feeling, much less the end of an episode. And so I wonder if it was originally written to be a long format, you know, hour long, you know, wrestling's been moved to Tuesday. So Voyager gets a, you know, two hour block kind of feel again, another Voyager feeling because we had more of those styles of episodes from the Voyager canon than from the other uh, Star Treks. But I think, you know, again, we, we we were talking off mic about this, you know, this is a problem that we'll have once for seven days, and then no one will ever have again, because it's going to be available on streaming to watch one right after the other. It's going right. to be, you know, again, not a big deal, but from a pacing perspective, 
you know, this was our biggest laughing point for a lot of the TNG two-parters, mm-hmm. um, was that you know, one episode would have, like, one set of things going on, and then the second half would be only really tangentially related to the first. I think this is all one story, which is great. I mean, we'll see how it pays out, but they can't really help but continue what they've started. So, right. again, to break it up in the middle, it was a little jarring, but I don't... I don't think I'm going to have as big of a problem with it unless, you know, they do something completely wild in the next episode. One of the showrunners or writers on Twitter said that they uh, were trying to make it intentional so that the younger audiences could feel something similar to Next Generation fans in Best of Both Worlds. So the idea idea was that you had this kind of abrupt stop. But it's only a yeah. week because, you know, they're kids and, but well, he yeah, there was a little bit of yeah. a, it seemed like there was an attempt to replicate that and to, to have mm-hmm. some of that. But I, but at the same time, it, it's a weird narrative break point, almost mm-hmm. like there's going to be more, there's going to be a lot more going on in the second part, but. Um, you know, yeah. in terms of my kid's first heist movie, I think that it really sets up well, though. The whole setup in the, like, oh, everything is going wrong exactly the way we wanted it to uh, <laughs> right. kind of thing. Because the Murph reveal was just A+. Because we were actually talking about it as we were watching. It's like, why why is Jankum Pog holding Zero's hand like that? It's kind of, where right. are her legs? Or where are their legs? It's What's odd. going on? And then... Uh, and then Murph's in there, just doing Murph stuff, and that's the best thing ever. <laughs> Number one Murph stand. Number forest. one Murph stand. Uh, although I did, I did uh, discover another podcast out there that is uh, a father-son duo called Murph Talk or something <laughs> like that, and it's just yes! a plus. Murph is great. Murph is great. Katie, what did you think of you know, like the the heisting, the reveal, you know? Do you stop the movie when they get into the bank vault before you figure out how they get out of it? Like I think, I don't know, I think it was a good setup. And again, kind of coming from a childhood education background, I think resolving a lot of main issues because you get that anxiety of, oh no, Gwen's been mm. taken onto the protostar. What's going to happen to her? And then you find out, nah, that was part of the plan. And then, oh crap, all this anti-gravity thing, they're left behind. Nah, they wanted it. Mm. So like... From a kid's perspective, there is resolution. They have solved the problem yeah, there. Right. Yes, we have to figure out, how are we going to get Gwen back? Are we going to get Gwen back? Because that's not a thing I want to think about. Are, we, are and when are we going to get Gwen back? <laughs> what has happened to Janeway? And that's a whole can right. of worms. And how are we going to save all these people while the, they are coming back? Mm. Because time is limited now. Right. So you've... Resolve problems right in front of you. You know that there are others coming, but you're content with, okay, there is some resolution. And so I thought that was a pretty good setup. I didn't have such a hard time with that that break. It didn't feel as abrupt to me, but I think that's because my lessons also end after 45 minutes and I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> so like I have that abrupt yeah. in, my, in my life daily. So I was okay with it. It was a really good setup in my mind. I like what you brought up, Katie, with, you know, the acceleration of the the urgency to get the people off the planet being such you know, a huge thing. And again, just keeping those stakes up into that next episode while they've resolved the immediate issue there. There's there's more more and bigger problems yes. that are developing. Right. And I, I'm excited. They kept cutting back to the is it Cation? What are the Cations? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. 
love them. Yeah, yeah. That's gonna that's gonna pay off. Yeah, I but I um, kind of thought some really of the excited. framing was a little sinister with the Cation because, like, uh, yeah, she's mm, looking all she's over lovely. the top, yeah. and she's you know they got these all these. It's right. like, oh, is she gonna steal the ship? I really thought she was gonna steal the ship for a minute. Well, she's like, low, and it's the camera's looking up, yeah. which kind of gives that like we. It's a it's yeah. an interesting camera angle to play because if she's a hero or an assist, it should be her point of view. Or you looking down, watching her do her happy bullshit. But Mm -hmm. it it was kind of like, we're there and below her, kind of cowering. Yeah. Yeah. Another camera thing. When the Protostar lands, landing pad... Star Wars. It is such a Star Wars mm-hmm. setup where they're walking down and then there's like a weird robot that might have four lightsabers and an awkwardly cloned <laughs> almost dead figure that also might have like it felt very Star Wars that whole scene which was which was pretty neat. There's you know obviously Clone Wars um, forged a lot of ground in the sci-fi yeah. kid show universe so. Well and I, I really enjoyed specifically in that like latter half when they're doing all the negotiating and stuff like that. Like, the cinematography, there's, like, six or seven, like, really great, like, these are movie-style mm-hmm. shots. Like, it's mm-hmm. it's when the crew of the Protostar is, like, getting off, and they're at the top of the ramp, and everybody's, like, framed, and you see, like, those really big silhouettes, you know, when the Diviner is standing opposite of the Protostar, and you get that really, really wide shot. Like, oh, that's really good. There's also one shot I know, Forrest, you said you wanted to circle back on that's, like, straight up, this is, like, a a cool desktop wallpaper, perfect composition shop. It is when the Diviner demands Gwen mm. takes off her comm badge and then he steps on it and you see the shattered comm mm. badge and it's just like lit perfectly and framed perfectly. Mm-hmm. Do you want to get into well, that? Well, we know what happens when the comm badge breaks, right? It sends out a subspace distress call. So, like, that is that is oh. such a cool callback to, like, previous Star Trek episodes, but also, like, Star Trek technical manuals yep. and stuff. So, it's not only this really cool thing to kind of show how they're trying to break up the, the crew or the team or whatever. And I, I think that it starts blowing away mm-hmm. after Janeway has been gothified, which uh, might, <laughs> might be a positive We'll find out. Great week for Janeway stands. Let's just say, love you, Goth love Janeway. Love you, Goth Janeway. Yeah. Um, but the and so this that whole kind of dissolution. The shot is beautiful. The shattered combat. But I also feel like someone or someone tootling around the Delta Quadrant who knows how to read a Star uh, Starfleet combat distress single signal um, might might pay attention to that. So like Tom Paris. Maybe. Or, or Neelix. Neelix. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Neelix. That's uh-huh. uh-huh. so, Neelix is the third act savior. Friend, friend of the pod, Steph, would be so mad if it was Neelix, but I would be so happy. <laughs> I think I think Neelix and, is a kid's cartoon. Oh, for perfect. sure. Perfect. 100% Neelix perfect. makes perfect Absolutely. sense. Also, like, Neelix is the ambassador to the Delta Quadrant at so, this point. So, and the, the, we know that this has got to be closer to the other quadrants because of all these other species. Barring some odd time reveal that who knows where we actually are temporarily. But wouldn't it make sense for Neelix to show up and be like, I got this distress signal. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> Just wanted to see if anyone needed soup. Do you guys need soup? Well, and it's like, even like in our Voyager episodes, right? Because we covered all all of the two-parters. I've also know, been going back of... and rewatching a lot of Voyager recently. <laughs> there's a lot of Voyager in there. And like, even in our episodes of Love Two Star, Two Trek, we were saying... Neelix should have been a Muppet. Mm-hmm. 
But animated Neelix, but like I animated think Neelix, do a lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sure. I think I think would be great. Yeah. I did not know that about the yeah, combat. I, didn't either. I had forgotten yeah. that little fancy. Yeah, you once know, once find you said it, I was like, oh, of course yeah. it does. Yeah. Um, and the other thing with this show in particular, with the introduction gradually of that Star Trek mm-hmm. iconography, a big big piece of that being the com badge and the delta and they also left a com badge on the crystal mm-hmm. planet and so like episode. i don't know if that'll tie back ever but the fact that they've been leaving their mark kind of everywhere they go as they more and more embrace those starfleet and federation ideals is very interesting i also love that they finally got like actual uniforms and well, i know they're I, I assume they're meant to look like cadet uniforms but what they looked like to me were the the delta flyer racing <laughs> uniforms aka like in some episodes of voyager they have away uniforms that also have the gray on mm-hmm. them so again yeah. more more void callbacks we love we Voy. love some void i do like the the delta flyer racer outfits they are it, it is probably my favorite starfleet outfit because well, it's so ridiculous the episode where tom paris gets pulled over for speeding <laughs> is like one of your favorite voyager episodes yeah and he has to go to driving school i mean Poor it's like tom. it's an episode of speed racer it's great <laughs> janeway just relishes sending him to driving school she's oh, like well yeah. tom you she thinks it's the funniest thing she's you ever better heard. go learn how to drive i guess <laughs> <laughs> Good thing you're not the pilot. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I want to go back to, Caitlin, something that you had actually just said about... um, Goth Janeway. Goth Janeway. And how I wish I could, like, hang out with her and, Be her friend. Smoke cigarettes outside of 7-Eleven or something. I feel like that's the vibe. How blessed are we to get Goth Janeway and Mirror Universe General Janeway from the Star Trek Online game in the same week? Our coffee cup runneth way over. It's so (laughs) The Janeway flows freely. (laughs) Yeah. No, it's great. Uh, you, You brought up, you know, how these kids are, like, becoming one with the ideals of the Federation just by, like, working together and things like that. And at one point, as they're walking down the docking sure. bay towards the diviner jenkum pog i love jenkum pog is so wonderful he he says like you know if we're doing the right thing why does this feel bad right and it's like sometimes the right thing you know it, it harkens back to you know a lot of the lessons picard taught a mm-hmm. lot of the like mm-hmm. not picard the show picard the man you know it, it harkens back to failure is a part of mm-hmm. life and and feeling unsure of yourself is not necessarily a bad thing you can over overcome these things with with the ones you love and the people you work well, with. And-, and that line in particular from like a child psychology perspective really embodies a lot of the modern way we are encouraged to talk to kids about having big feelings and right. working through that like having the feeling in itself isn't bad, but what are we going to do about right. it? And, you know, having learning and developing those values is really, really important. So it's it's a lovely little moment. Again, Jenkum Pog gets like some of the most secretly like tender lines mm-hmm. in the series. Right. Because he's a Tellarite, and it's, you know, you expect him, he is argumentative, but ultimately, very often, he's the one bringing up, we're refugees, mm-hmm. let's go to the Federation, let's go join up with something bigger than ourselves. Like, he's bringing up these big feelings in a very silly way, because it's Jason Mantzoukas, but like, <laughs> he's so you know, good. he's so wonderful, and he gets away with saying profound things as Jenkum Pog, which is wonderful, Jenkum Pog, and I love it. his multi-tool he's hand, great, the multi-tool hand, where, yes. where he spins all the tools and then thumbs up, like, I need that as a gif for everything. Yeah, I also really like when Dal tells him to like put it into warp nine and everything like that, and he's like, "All right, I'm gonna do it. I hit the button. Yeah, 
And then he like takes a beat and he's like, uh, warp nine, <laughs> Captain. Like, like that's that's great too. Like the comedic timing in this show is perfect and great. And it's like way different because it's it's funnier in the way that Lower Decks mm-hmm. isn't. Because Lower Decks and is Lower Decks is, is exceptionally oh, funny. Yeah, yeah it's, it's yeah. very different fun. Well, but Lower Decks is designed as a capital C comedy. Yes, right. Whereas it's more sitcommy, right? Whereas you know you can have funny moments in tense situations. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Matt Damon was nominated for a Golden Globe for being funny for noted comedy The Martian. Yeah, for noted comedy I'm Stranded on a Desert Planet The Martian. Um, so you know, like. Having capital C comedy next to something like Prodigy, because Lower Decks and I guess Star Trek the Animated Series are really the only, like, other things Prodigy's directly comparable to, I think. Well, from format perspective. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. I do like the 22, 24 minutes, though. That's... Snappy. It's In and zippy. out. It's perfect. Yeah. You cannot waste a single I mean, frame of animation. Like you know. said, we've got a little one, and that's about his level of, of attention span. But then 20 minutes later, he goes, I want to watch the one with the crystals. And so then we have to watch the one with mm-hmm. the crystals. Mm-hmm. And then, you know... Yeah. So it, it really is, you know, something it grows on you, and then once it sticks onto your bones, you're like, oh yeah, there but we I go. I think this, yeah. and this is something I just thought of, but this is the only one of the newer tracks of of all of them that is that was designed intentionally for a later broadcast. Like this is a Nickelodeon series they've always said is going to Nick after streaming. So Disco was on CBS for a season, edited down. Uh, Lower Decks isn't going on to anything. Picard isn't going on to anything. Strange New Worlds isn't. So this one is designed. And so they have a little tighter window they have to play with and they have to fit They don't have the, you know, Lower Decks has run times between like 24, 25 and their season finale was like 30. And so they can, they can play with that a bit, but this one is tight. It has to be tight. And it has to fit those more traditional network and like marketing, you know, regimens in order to be just on cable TV. Speaking of marketing regimens for kids shows, when are we getting Prodigy action figures? I want merch, goddammit. <laughs> like, Murph merch. I, I mean, that's... Well, I need yeah, a Murph, I know I need a Murph plushie. I need a Murph shirt. I pillow? need a Murph hat. A Murph <laughs> pillow. What other Murphs? A plushie rock talk also, oh, I would A plushie rock talk she, would be good. Uh, she has my heart. I really love her. I love Rock I Talk. Love Rock I love, Talk. She's really I good. love that she kind of started as the scary monster who became the squishy mm. figure who kind of, I don't know, became the laughing character in her crew mm-hmm. who then went through some shit by herself. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Waiting for physics. that freaking shoe to drop. I want to know how long she was alone. I want to know how many tries. I want to know how often Janeway had to console her. Mm-hmm. I think it was 10 years. I, I think it was 10 I, years. I think it was at least several yeah, years. Yeah. Ouch. For mm-hmm. someone who's so social right. and so emotionally dependent on others. Ouch. And then she just comes in as this boss ass bitch. She's like, no science now. Let's do things. <laughs> and, <laughs> I'm smart. Right? But she's still humble too. She's still like, oh, I love you guys. Let's do things. But she's also like, oh, we can do these fancy ass physics things now. Mm-hmm. And they all look at her and she's like, yeah, I know it. 
Yep. I got it. She also <laughs> drinks the biggest <laughs> cup of coffee of all of them. Which, oh my gosh. Why would you give a 10-year-old a cup of coffee? Okay, you'd be surprised how many of my students show up with freaking Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> it's appalling. <laughs> Says the the teacher. <laughs> this the is Janeway's ship. They all drink coffee all the time. Contact <laughs> <laughs> was exclusively in her 10-year time warp hellscape eating the nutrition goo and drinking coffee. <laughs> right? No, I, I, I think it's it's wonderful and also, again, ooh, hurts me in my heart because it, it's just a little sad that, like, even through all of that rock talk, there's that shot of her eating the same gruel mm-hmm. that she's eaten since she was, mm-hmm. like, a little baby in the mines, and it just, it, it, it turns to something twisty in my heart, and I was like, oh no, a feeling. Because that's all mm-hmm. she knows, and kids may not pick on the, up on those nuances, or they might be like, oh, that's what she ate before, so she's going to keep eating it. That makes sense. But then as adults watching it, we go... Emotional damage. <laughs> we go, that breaks me. <laughs> Ow. Right. Go, and that's on trauma. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, Rock Talk's good. Who else? Uh, I mean, Zero's really the only one we haven't really hit on hard. But like, Zero's gonna, like, have something big and terrible happen that, you know, is gonna be emotionally devastating for everyone. But yeah, I mean, Zero right now is is kind of a... They had some cool Zero content at the beginning of the series with, like, the, the mild, like, Deanna Troy of it all. And I, I really want them to come back to that. I think they've been leaning into Zero as, like, ship's counselor, yeah. but they haven't fully committed mm-hmm. to it yet. So I'm hoping that that's coming. Right. Well, and I mean, Zero's big thing in this particular episode for, for part one is she doesn't want to get captured again because she was the one that was, like, does, brainwashing. Does Zero have a Zero is there. Medusans, is Medusans don't have genders. And I really like that they've played with, they mentioned the Medusan, you know, the whole look in the box and go crazy kind of thing in the first episode. And then right. Zero reflected yeah. on that in this first part of the two-parter where they're like, um, I don't want to be forced to hurt people again. And it's like, oh, right. emotional damage. Right. Well, and I think the Diviner used Zero to to hypnotize and traumatize a bunch of the kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, like, that's the other thing that, like, really hurts me deep on the inside as somebody who is empathetic towards others and somebody who is also a father now is, like, that's a planet full of children. Mm-hmm. Like, that's that's deeply messed up. That's a planet th- full of children. And I do think... It's really cool that Dal and Gwen and Zero and Rock Talk and Jenkum Pog are going to be, hopefully, the ones that save them all because it will be children looking out for other children. Mm-hmm. Mutual aid. And not, you know. The adults to the rescue. I'm the big adults yeah. coming to the rescue, which is honestly like the, the point of Dal's character. Well, and if they know? pull this off, they're doing it without Janeway. Mm-hmm. They're doing it, you know. Well, doing presumably. It because, yeah, because they need to. Yeah. Because there is there is something pushing them external from these voices that have get tried to tell and instill different values in them over the course of right. the series. As has been said by other Star Trek luminaries, fighting fascism is a full-time job. It absolutely is. Do you think Janeway got backed up? Oh, she's somewhere. Like it was too oh, easy. Yeah, she's it was too somewhere easy, for right? sure. She's got she's maybe in like okay. a I think that's like a repli- s- the robot yeah, replicator like or something. She's hiding. She's lurking. Okay, Lying yeah. in wait. Or maybe she's hanging out with Murph. Murph can store a lot. They had to anticipate that they were going to either take Janeway offline or do Absolutely. something like goth Janeway. Mm-hmm. So, like, 
maybe they backed her up in the holodeck, mm-hmm. um, maybe it's, like Moriarty oh, style. That'd be good, or maybe it's just a play. Maybe she, maybe she knew she knew a code was and, coming, and just played it, and yeah. is is you know going to uh, reveal Ooh. herself. She's, she's role playing. Yes, she's role playing like as Goth Jane. Wow, like it wow. Even Wow. It's the lipstick and like the neon line on her uniform. Yeah. They detour to Sephora. <laughs> her eyes. <laughs> yes. Her eyes yes. are like bright blue. Yes. It's like blue. No, it's scary. Uh-huh. It's, it's scary. scary. But I yes. Yep, I'm scary. I will, uh, so <laughs> I, I have a, I have a silly science question though. Is, is the proto core, is, is it a star? I thought it was a star. Do you think it's a star? Is it a star? So, Do they have they, a star they, they, they and a warp drive? They say the energy of a star. It is, yeah. but my guess question would be: Is it is it manufactured, or did they steal it from somewhere in oh, space no. and have wrecked the ecosystem of like <laughs> some star space, and now it's bad? Right, and that brings the further question. Does Murph eat stars? Yes. Murph, <laughs> Murph is like, and I love this, the childlike fun of, oh, Murph's indestructible. Let's do stuff to him. And like beaming him onto the windshield and all that kind of stuff. Him eating the photon it's like, grenades yes, was so good. So the good. photon grenades were great. Like, it's such like. And Rock was like, oh. Rock Talk having that moment of panic. Like, we are all going to it's die. Like, oh, is it bad if the photon grenades get armed and detonate? Yes, Rock Talk. Asking, that is asking for. For a friend, <laughs> yes, oh, it is such like also first time playing D anD D bullshit. Yeah, like. and, but in, in in time amok when Janeway gets to Murph's timeline, but I so I mean Protos they've reflected or they've said Protos are before in previous Star Trek stuff, um, mm. which is in theory like a baby star. But one something from the novels, and we know how much they love. But there's a there's a whole Q trilogy, and no. in one of the Q trilogy books, they go into the origin of some of the some of the various super powerful creatures that have inhabited the galaxy, like the one who turned all the kids evil in the original series, mm. and the floating godhead who needs a starship in the center of the galaxy in Star Trek Five. Remember Star Trek Five? <laughs> Uh, and a couple others, and the big green hand. Uh, I don't think so, but maybe. But they <laughs> talk about um, the Takan, which are referred to in the Next Generation, the Takan Empire, who had the power to contain and move a star. And so I wonder if they're pulling. <laughs> and the Takan and the Iconian gateways and stuff have always been kind of referred to the historical denizens of the galaxy. They're the Protheans of the Star Trek universe. And so I, I think it'd be fun if that was a, uh, a reference to that. Because uh, those the Q books are great. Like, Q invites these crazy people into the galaxy and... Then like, <laughs> then he's like, "Oh no, the Takan Empire will certainly survive all of these disasters." And right as they're about ready to save their star, which another one of the crazy things had made Nova, the guys are like, "This is no fun." Just wipes out the Takan Empire, and Q's like, "That's not fair." And they're like, "We're not here to play fair. We're here to murder people." And then then the third <laughs> book goes, and it's great. That was some some nice. good digging there, Bubba. I don't know where you got that shovel from, but man. Nice. Yeah, that's all Murph right. Murph These are the me. things we love. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> we like Murph. Murph is good. Murph is good. I do like, uh, speaking of wanted merch and everything like that, I think the writers in this show are so very excited that they can now do an entire replicator in a vehicle bay. Yeah. Like, that's awesome. And I love that it keeps coming back. Because in the first episode, you get Rock talking Gwen. Oh, such a great fight. Yes. Fighting as, as a thing is being built. Which is cool, but then they build the truck on the weird planet mm-hmm. uh, where everything's mind controlled. They send, they Bluetooth send uh, the diviner's mm-hmm. boyfriend. Yep, to the vehicle replicator. I I love the the vehicle replicator. That thing is cool. Yeah, I like the not Mako that they drive Definitely around. Definitely not a like, Mako. That's the other merch I want. The like, not Mako. <laughs> we'll pop a warthog out of there sooner or later. There's, yeah, there's gonna be the. The new Janeway like Playmates figure coming out, but um, it's it's got like a coffee and a plasma rifle. It's very clearly like Voyager Janeway, mm-hmm. right? But like, I'm gonna get one, <laughs> or my kid's gonna get one for his birthday, and I'm gonna then steal it, play mm-hmm. with it. So, <laughs> so yeah, I think that about covers it for Amaral Star Part One. We're gonna get Katie and Forrest back next week to cover Part Two as well. So we will be covering that uh, back to back. And then, I mean, we're in exciting times for Star Trek. I think uh, somebody sat down and looked at a calendar and was like, holy crap, we're getting like 28 weeks straight of Star Trek. Because as soon as Prodigy is over, Discovery comes back. As soon as Discovery is over, um, Picard. And then after Picard is over, it's Strange New New Worlds. Worlds, And then Lower Decks. Presumably after Strange New Worlds is over, Lower Decks will come Strange New Worlds is Daddy Pike, right? Oh, yeah. Daddy Pike. No, Father Pike. Father Horse, <laughs> Horse Father Pike. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. The thing about Daddy Pike that uh, I was reminded of in an article I was reading this morning about the year 2002 is that he actually was the um, male lead in the Britney Spears vehicle Crossroads. Shut the front door. Wait, what? <laughs> that was Anson Mount. Justin Long is also in that movie, in but he is the other guy. <laughs> I'm obsessed. So, you know, please, please enjoy that in your brain space until you eventually That's decide that you have to go buy a copy of Crossroads. Des- er, uh, favorite trivia question. That's it. That's the one. I I haven't seen Crossroads since probably yeah. 2002, so I'm going to have to watch it Absolutely. this week just to see Baby Daddy. As an, a Hanson. baby. See, see Baby Daddy yeah. as a baby. Well, and now he is a baby daddy in real life. He is you know, a baby Congratulations, daddy Mr. Mount. Yay. Yep. Good for you and your partner. Respectfully. Yeah. Yes. Respectfully. It's great. Cannot wait for Strange New World. But uh, next week, we're we're back on the Prodigy. We're back on the Protostar train. So we're definitely going to look forward to that. Forrest, did you have any closing thoughts on a moral star part? Perfect. (laughs) Nailed it. No further questions. Katie, what do you think? I'm really excited to see how we resolve this. We set up a lot of really good questions that demand a lot of really interesting answers so i'm looking forward to this first part two in prodigy and seeing how how they play out also rock mm. i love rock talk yeah rock talk's <laughs> great caitlin uh you know it's set up a lot of like everybody's been saying some really fun ideas and again this whole season's been building to this in a way that uh, a lot of star trek two-parters i mean some of them begin and end seasons but they don't necessarily have a lot to do with the rest of the season this really is one of the more cohesive seasons of star trek so far that you know we've seen in a long time and, and definitely one of the better first seasons um 
you know, I, I'd be amiss if I didn't mention that throughout the production of this first season and throughout the, the presentation of this first season, there's been a lot going on in the world about trying to get animators and people who work on animated shows fair compensation. And yep. for a show the caliber that yeah. Prodigy is... Uh, we should be paying these people more, and they should be getting royalties, and they they need to be treated like the artists they are, as you know, just as if they were working on a live action program. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the main issues, and I know we brought this up earlier in the episode, is you know where do we where's the cutoff for seasons mm-hmm. one and mm-hmm. two, and in animation you can easily see you know forty eight episode quote seasons or book one, book two. 1A, and a lot of that is about how, not always, but a lot of it goes into how contracts for people who work in animation are developed to essentially not pay them fairly. So please, please, please advocate if you can, and with whatever clout you may have to your listeners to make sure these people get paid. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because they give us stuff we love that's very delicious and very great. And nutritious. We're definitely there. Yeah. A little bit of spice. A, a, a little bit of proto-core in the belly. That's, that's yeah. great misdirect. Like Replicate some gold-pressed latinum and send it directly to oh, the folks the show. Yes. Yeah. Perfect. Well, I think that about covers it. So until then... To be continued. <laughs>